Yes, Jesus, we declare that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You reign above it all, above everything. You have ultimate authority in this world. In the unseen world, you have authority. And we declare that today. Lord, we declare that in anything in our own personal lives, that you reign above it all. And we can trust you, God, with whatever's happening in our life, in your church, in your world. You reign above it all. So God, we're so thankful that you're at the center, that your church is at the center of we've sung today. And I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit today, as we meet together in the name of Jesus, that you would take your word that you've inspired and God, that you would actually fan it into flame in the life of our church. Lord, for us individually, that we'd receive everything that you'd want to say to us today. And so we want to be open. We want to be ready. We want to be expectant, God, that you're alive, that you're here, that you speak, that you bring conviction and revelation. And I pray that today there'd be a revelation of your truth in this place, at Tumby, online, wherever we're engaging. I pray that your word through your spirit would bring a revelation of your truth that would change us, that would transform us, that would bring you glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Any amens this morning? Any more than that? <laughs> Amen. Take a seat. Thanks for joining us here today. Hi at Tumby. Good to see you. Kind of. <laughs> I was saying to the guys today, it'd be great to have a view back this way as well. That'd be cool. Um, welcome online. It's great that we can gather as the church. We're in the middle of a series called Being the Church. And you know what? It's really good to understand who we are and what it means to be the church. Because I think there's plenty of things from our culture or our upbringing or sometimes even the, how we talk about church in church can get in the way of what God sees us to be as the church. And so I think it's really good to go back to truth and allow God's truth to build and bring revelations about who the church is, which is you, which is me, which is us together, and what it means to be the church. Now, Paul wrote Ephesians, right? A um, little bit about Paul. You might not might know his story just a little bit, but he was known as a Pharisee. He was known as kind of this religious expert in Old Testament ways. And so he thought he, was, he had it all together. But then there was this groundswell of new Christians understanding Jesus. He persecuted Christians to the point of death. That's pretty big. Especially when you get a revelation that maybe you haven't got it quite right. Because he had a personal revelation of Jesus that was literally life transforming for him. Massive revelation to the point where he was active in mission. He gave his life to serve people and extend the grace of Jesus. That much that it landed him in prison. And it's from prison he wrote this book, Ephesians, and many others. That's a little bit of his story, and I think that's an important context to understand. Because Paul had this revelation of truth about who he was, who the church was, who Jesus was, and what he wanted to do through his people. And it totally changed the way that he thinks. Do you know Jesus has the ability to change the way you think? Do you, have you experienced that? You think you've got it all sorted out, then Jesus just brings this truth alive in, in your life and then you change the way that you think. It's actually called repentance. I'm going to change the way I think about something. My hope today is that for some of us, maybe many of us, maybe all of us, God will do something in that space and change the way we think about the church. Because that's you and me and what it means to be 
the church. Have you ever experienced something so good that you just want other people to experience it? And it, it can be simple, like you go to a holiday destination, you just keep talking about it, you just want, to, you just want other people to try it out, or, or a great restaurant, or a Better Days Cafe. I tell you what, if you haven't tried that, that's, that's my thing at the moment. I spend way too much money there, but it goes to a good cause, so it's kind of okay. You just kind of want people to experience it. Paul had this revelation about Jesus and the church, and he desperately wanted other people to experience it like he did. Desperately wanted other people to have a revelation of truth about Jesus and his church. It was, like, it was like this parable. You probably know this parable. Um, like the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to go and buy the field. It's like that or a pearl merchant finding this great pearl. And it's like, actually, I'm gonna, I want to actually sell everything I've got to gain that because the revelation I've had about that is so significant. This was Paul's treasure he actually experienced something with Jesus that was such a treasure to him that he just couldn't help but unpack it, desperately wanted other people to understand the revelation he had. Now, here's where we've been. We've been in the book of Ephesians from chapters 1 through to 3. And can I encourage you that if you haven't been on that journey or missed something, go back this week and read that or today Read those chapters or jump on YouTube, look at the messages because we can't do Ephesians 4 without looking at Ephesians 1 to 3. It just doesn't make sense. And so I'm going to give you a recap of Ephesians 1 to 3 in about three minutes, I reckon. Don't time me, but this, this is the heart where Paul's taken people in this revelation of truth, this treasure that he's found. And he's just pouring his heart out from prison, just desperately wanting other people to understand the revelation he's had. This is what he wants. This is what he spoke about. Chapter 1 highlights. He's writing to faithful followers. So that's you, actually. And it's always addressed through grace and peace. He says, you are blessed. You are united with Christ. You are actually without fault in the eyes of God. And you're adopted into the family of God. Praise God. You know what? It gave him great pleasure. It did. God is rich in kindness and grace and he has this mysterious plan and it's now been revealed. Everything under our heaven, like we've just been singing, Jesus has authority over. He gave you the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee of all that is to come so that we could praise and glorify Jesus. Any amens today? Actually, your heart is flooded with light. There was this prayer to understand his power. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's in your life. You have authority. Jesus has authority over all things for the benefit of the church. That's you and me. The church is a body and Jesus is a part of the church. That's chapter one. Are you still with me? Chapter two highlights. We used to live in sin. Have we got that? Yes. But now we live in grace. It's a different story. All because Jesus is rich in mercy. You and I are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You and I are raised from the dead, all because we are united with Christ. That's the truth. 
God points to you and me as examples of his grace. There's plenty he can point to in my life. Trust me. You've been saved by grace. It's a gift from God. It's not about you. It's not about good works. But you are God's masterpiece. And he's actually saved you for good works so you can do good works. You were once excluded. You were once outsiders. You used to live without God and without hope. But now you are united with Christ. Praise God. Now, we live together as one body, and now anyone can come to the Father. You're now citizens. You are members of the family of God. We are together. We are built into a house with a foundation on the prophets and the apostles, with Jesus as the cornerstone. You are a holy temple. We are a sanctuary vibrant with life. That's the highlights of chapter 2. Can I keep going? Chapter 3. This is the best way to go through Ephesians, really quick. It's like the tasty version. We have a revelation of this mysterious plan, and it's our responsibility to extend the grace of Jesus. It's revealed to our generation. That has never always been the case. This is his plan, that all believers share equally in his riches, and we're all part of the same body. All, every person, one body the church. All believers share in his blessings. Everyone, we're all equal in his eyes. With God's grace and power, we actually spread the good news of Jesus. We have the privilege of telling that the endless treasure of Christ is for every purpose. The person, the purpose of the church is that God wants to show that his wisdom is in it and he displays it to the unseen rulers and authorities. And now we can come boldly and confidently to God. And when Paul thinks of all of this, he falls to his knees in prayer and he prays for the church. And this is what he prays. He says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great for you to fully understand. And then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations forever. Amen. Ephesians 1 to 3. Paul lived this, had a revelation of it, a revelation of truth that changed everything about him. And he desperately wanted other people to understand. Just an insight, a revelation of who Jesus was and who you and I are in the church. Because then, at the start of Ephesians 4, based on All of that and so much more as you engage in the depth of Ephesians. Paul says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. I beg you. Can you hear that in just his disposition. He's had this revelation of the church, a revelation of Jesus. 
And he wants to be able to have this message based on all of that, to look people in the eye through his letter writing, if you like, and go, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling because you have been called by God. I beg you. That's where we find ourselves today in Ephesians 4. Just this calling where you have been united with Jesus. We're in his church. Praise God. You've been adopted into his family. Praise God. Never want to take that for granted. And we've been given good works to do that he's planned a long, long time ago. And Paul starts to go there. But he goes there from a foundation of, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. And he talks about it in Ephesians 1. Sorry, 4 verse 1. He talks about it. He unpacks that. And he actually shows you and I, he shows the church what it means to live a life worthy of your calling. Now, what that means is, you've heard me talk about this a fair bit. It's self-leadership. It's personal leadership. It's the way you lead yourself. You and I have a responsibility to lead ourselves according to our fellowship of Jesus. So when we follow Jesus personally and his spirit speaks into our life based on truth, then we have a choice in our free will. And that is to lead ourselves based on our fellowship of Jesus. It's hard to do. It's not easy to do. But it's self-leadership. It's personal leadership. And this is what Paul says. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you've been called by God. Always. And he describes it. This is what it looks like to lead a life worthy of your calling. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit. Just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. Paul says, I beg you, based on this massive, mysterious plan, but this revelation of truth about Jesus and his church, of which you're a part of, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And this is what it looks like. It looks like humility. It looks like choosing that in your self-leadership. I choose to be humble. And I've heard someone say once, a great definition, that's, that's actually not thinking less of yourself about who you are, but you're just thinking of yourself less. You actually put people ahead of you. You think of others as better than yourself, not the other way around. There's a humility. You know, one of our convictions as a church in this rebuild time once, we can, once we've had been able to start gathering again, is that we genuinely want to be a church that are other people focused. That's quite easy to say, and it makes sense. But in practice, in my self-leadership of preferring other people, that's really hard to do. But that's humility. I reckon I'm challenged on that every day. That there's something that happens where I have to choose the benefit of someone else over myself or the benefit of some other organisation even other than our church. Humility. I beg you to live a life that's gentle, 
Do you know the best definition of gentleness? Strength under control. Jesus has got all the power to do anything he wants to do. But he has it under control and it's manifest the way he wants it to to be manifest. You, You and I have a lot of strength. You have a lot of strength with your words. You have a lot of strength with physical strength. But to live gently where that's under control is what Paul's begging us to do. He says, I beg you to lead a life that's patient, really patient. That's a characteristic of God also. You know, it can often mean steadfastness or actually endurance in suffering. Anyone suffering? There's an endurance part that's patience. Or it actually can be referred to when someone keeps doing you wrong. There's a patience. God wants you and I to be patient people. That's part of your calling. That's part of you leading your life, me leading my life based on the calling that we have by God. He says, I beg you to forgive. I beg you to make allowance for other people's faults. It's a forbearance. It's bearing with one another. I tell you what, in a church community, you'll have practice with that every day. You're part of a home group, just part of doing life with people. We've got lots of training in forgiveness. And it's actually, I was going to say it's not easy to do. I actually think it is easy to do. I think it's easy to do when we get in touch with the forgiveness that God's given us. Because we've got no other option than to pass that on. You know, I love the way that it talks in this, that it's actually about making allowance for other people's faults. Because, you know, you've heard me say this before, in a workplace scenario, quite often you get paid an allowance. Why? Because you know there's going to be an expense coming up. When we understand that we have, an, we have to make allowance for people's faults, it's actually on the front end to understand that sometimes people are going to do things that offend me. And I'm going to make allowance for that before it happens. That's an interesting way to think. Like it surprises me when some people say, I've said it myself, I can't believe someone said that about me. Well, don't be surprised. People are going to say stuff like that about you. Yeah, or I, I love this one. I still struggle with it today. I can't believe that referee made that decision. <laughs> we need to make allowance and understand that stuff's going to happen in your day. That's not going to be good. That's going to be offensive. And that doesn't justify it. It doesn't make it okay. But God will still call you to forgive and to make allowance for it and continually do that. How many times? Seven times? Seventy times? Seven. Let's just keep being people that are good at forgiving. Now, right now, I always want to think about that. Who do you need to pass that on to? Because you've been totally forgiven. We just read that you're without fault in God's eyes. Yet we can hold grudges for a whole list of people. It's a key part where Paul goes, I beg you, live a life worthy of your calling. He says, I beg you to stay united. Stay united. Do whatever you can. In fact, it says, make every effort. That says that we're going to have to practice that. Make every effort to stay united. You know what? If we, if we drop one of these things off the list 
in the way that we lead ourselves, if we're not going to be humble or not going to be gentle or not going to actually forgive, we take any of that out, there's going to be division in the church. Simple as that. And that's where the enemy wants. Paul's going, I beg you, I beg you to be humble, gentle, to offer forgiveness, to be patient, because then you'll stay united. If you've got any kind of insight about some kind of division or some kind of disunity in, in who we are as a church or the people groups that you're a part of, do your part in that to stay united. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Be the bigger person. Be the one to initiate it. Paul says, I beg you. And then he says, actually, peace is going to be part of that. Bind yourselves together in peace. It's a together thing. Part of your self-leadership, my self-leadership, is to do the deep work as we follow Jesus based on the revelations he brings us and choose to live a life worthy of our calling because you've been called by God. And then finally, he gets to the good works. You see, too often we make good works as being the thing that we do. Paul goes, actually, it's about this revelation of truth. There's this massive, mysterious plan. It's been revealed to us. You're part of the family of God. You've been adopted in the family of God. You're united with Christ. Live a life that's worthy of your calling. Be humble, gentle, patient, forgive. Be united in the Spirit. Now, based on all of that, let's start talking about the good works that God's planned for us to do a long time ago. Too often we get that totally the wrong way around in the church. And we put our good works on display. And we start to think how good we are. But let's put it around the other way around. It's our tree analogy. Roots first. Let's take them deep. And then from that, the fruit will come. But he does talk about that. And in verse 7, he starts to have the conversation around, however, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. See, it's about understanding giftedness and embracing giftedness based on that whole foundation. And Paul has this conversation. In verse 11, he continues to say, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. And their responsibility is to equip equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we be made mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ pretty big measure then we will no longer be immature like children we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching we'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies they sound so clever they sound like the truth instead we'll speak the truth in love it's part of our calling we'll speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more and more and more like christ who is the head of the body the church he makes the whole body fit together as each part, as each part, the part that you have, the part I have, the part we have in the wider church's coast community, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You see, on this platform of our revelation of Jesus and the church, And on this platform and experience and practice of living a life worthy of our calling, it's from that point that we engage in our giftedness and the part that God's given us in his church and be active in it. Notice it says each one. That's you. Each one. 
Now you might think, oh, really me? Even Paul would say in Ephesians, I'm the least deserving of all people. He knew his journey of persecuting Christians. God gifted him. God's gifted you in some way to be a strategic, significant part of his body, the church. And we need to embrace that individually and work out where's the best place for me to contribute? Where's the best place for me to serve? And there's people that can help you do that. At our partnership evening on Wednesday that Andrew talked about, we spoke about as a church community, especially as our partners, but anyone that would go, this is my church. I hope that we can even have language that says we don't attend church, we don't attend Coast Community. We actually turn up as a family and host a gathering. That's completely different because all of us are part of that. Each one of us even has a part in that. Now, it's not all about Sundays because God wants us to go and be missional, but we gather so that we go and we host our gatherings. So you have a part. What is that? Many of you are active in that, but we all contribute. It's part of the good works that God planned for us long ago. The good church, part of being the church and being missional as a church. And then Paul talks about these leadership gifts, these community gifts. There's individual gifts, that's you and, you and me. And then there's these gifts for the church, which is for a community. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. You know, one of our convictions also is that we are primarily a volunteer movement or organisation or body, whatever language you want to use. But it's made up of all of us who can volunteer in that space based on the gifting that we have. I think in the church culture, even in the culture around us, we can get this blurred and mixed up all the time. And if we're not careful, we can think that in a church that there's people employed to do what the church needs to do. Does that make sense? Like if, if we're not careful... That they become blurred and we can think, oh, actually, I don't need to do that because Andrew's employed to do that. That's his job. Is that right? That'd be a pretty big list, I reckon, if we explored that. To, to give you an example, I would, I would think that probably nearly every Sunday since we've been able to gather again, I think Andrew's been the one that set up all this building. Probably. Now, there's something about that that's not okay. Because all of us host a gathering. Now, for many, many of you, you wouldn't even be aware of that. And I know that anyone on our team that's employed for leadership would do anything that they needed to do. Because that's their character and that's their heart. But there's something about that model that's not okay. Now, for many of us, you just think, oh, it's turn up, someone's already done it, it's all cool. But if... if if that thinking gets away on us, all of a sudden, we kind of think that it's up to someone else to do it, but it's up to us to do it. Like, I think sometimes the thinking can even be, in the, I'm just talking about coast community, I'm talking about in the church, that actually there's a few paid professionals, and if I can just get someone to church, there'll be a paid professional that can actually tell them about Jesus. That's going to be really cool. There's something about that that's not okay. Because God wants you to do that, and you can do that, and he's going to empower you to do that. And that's 
can be pretty scary or confronting, but God wants to work in and through you so that dynamic happens. I just want to be clear that, you know, the roles that we have at Coast Community are paid leadership roles. We pay Andrew to lead. And then his responsibility is to actually equip us all, me included, because we all play a part in equipping each other for all the works that God has us to do. Because it will take each of us to be part of all the things that God wants to do in Coast Community. So, on the platform of a revelation of truth and then a call to beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, which is the characteristics of God. And let's be active in all the ways, each of us, and together as a community of people, that God wants us to be active in. And you know what will happen? Paul gives us a vision of the church, and this is what it means to be the church. It will actually, what will happen, you'll see it in Ephesians 4 from 13 to 16. It says, we will be equipped. We will be equipped for every good work. We will see the body of the church built up. We will be people of maturity. And there will be unity at the heart of that. We will speak the truth in love. We will grow more and more and more like Jesus. You and I will do the part that we have in the body of Christ. My part that I was created to do. Your part that you were gifted and created to do. And we do our part together, even in the wider church. That we are responsible for that and we'll do that so that we see the whole body. That's God's church. Healthy. And growing and full of love. Paul says, happy for you guys to come up as the band. Paul says, I beg you. They're pretty big words. They're huge words. You know, my, my leadership journey, stay with me, not with a band. My leadership journey has been something like this. Because I reckon one of the challenges for me in a leadership role is actually engaging with people and asking people to actually contribute somewhere in the life of the church or in a mission experience that we've got. That I've found that really hard. And I've started from a point where I would actually try and have a conversation with someone and go, oh, if it's okay, um, could you do that? If it's not too inconvenient, if you've got some time, have you got some capacity? Oh, if I'm not intruding too much on your family time, you get it. And I've grown from that and grown to understand that when I have a conversation with someone and I'm inviting someone to contribute in in the church, which they're already a part of, I'm actually inviting someone into something that is so significant and deeply satisfying to experience God work in and through you. It doesn't get much better than that. And if I, if I step back from that, I'm actually depriving someone of that opportunity. And so that's been hard for me. And I've still got a long way to go. But I have a sense that Paul journeyed through that because he had a massive revelation of Jesus in the church. And Paul's way, Paul's encouragement, Paul's ask is around these words, I beg you. I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling.
And so just for today, and maybe I'll grow more in my leadership in this space. But just for today, at least, can I pass on Paul's words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit as he wrote these words? When he says, therefore, based on all this revelation, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. I beg you. He's already fallen on his knees in prayer. And probably from that same stance, he's saying, I beg you. Now, I don't know what that means for you. But I trust that as God's word spoken, that his Holy Spirit wants to bring something alive in you. His Holy Spirit wants to bring a conviction in your heart. His Holy Spirit wants to bring a transformation or something to mind that He wants you to follow through on. And whether it is actually a lean in to Jesus to get a revelation of His church and who Jesus is, I beg you to do that. Or whether it's something about humility or gentleness or forgiveness or patience that you feel God's put on your heart because that's a life worthy of your calling, I beg you to follow through on that. Or whether it's to understand your part in the church and how that you're gifted because you are. Don't believe the enemy that you're not. You are. And if that's you, I beg you to understand your giftedness. And then when you do, I beg you to be active in that and contribute in that and be part of the solution consistently. There's nothing better you can do. And that includes out of your home. The home is one of the primary places of, you, of our discipleship. It's, in, it's everywhere. Let's just be active in His church. I beg you to be doing that. And for us, as a community of people known as Coast Community, I beg us that we take our part seriously and we embrace it and we're active in the wider church and we follow through with everything that God places in our heart. Now, I don't know what you do with that because that's pretty strong language and I hope you hear it from the place that Paul desired it to come from. And many of us are in that place but I just know God keeps working deeply in us. And so whatever that is for you today, whatever you feel God's placing on your heart, I beg you to follow through on that. Father, I thank you that you're a God who has just got this beautiful picture of your church. And it's real. We're in it. God, I pray that by your Spirit, you'd continue to bring a revelation of your church. Lord, that we'd understand who you are, Jesus. And I pray for anyone today that may need a revelation, Jesus, that, that you're alive, that you're a God of love, that you see people, know people, and there's an invitation into your family. I pray that today will be that day of revelation. Lord, I pray that you give us a revelation of your church a deeper revelation of what it means to be your church. 
And God, I pray you'd help us to lead ourselves with your strength and your power to live a life worthy of your calling. Help us to be humble and gentle and patient and people that forgive and make allowance and people that strive for unity. And God, I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you'd show us an individual part that we are in your church. I pray that you'd show us the collective part of who we are as Coast Community. And I pray, God, we all pray today that your whole church, your church on the Central Coast, your church worldwide, Lord, that you would do a great work in your church. And as each part does its own special work, I pray that it would help all the other parts to be healthy and growing and full of love. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.